Isn't that an incredible story? It really is. Now, you think about, you know, that what we're going to talk about, part of what we're going to talk about is the fact that Jesus has told us to share this great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say, you know, how incredibly impossible that seems in a big world like our world. And then you think about these guys in their Bible app with 1,200 different languages. Uh, I think it's somewhere around 300 million times this has been downloaded um, onto various apps. And again, it goes where, and there's an interview that goes along with this, it goes where we cannot go. It goes into countries where missionaries cannot go. And it all started with a person having an idea. Um, and I love this. Um, Greg Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church. And it's, yes, it's one of the mega churches, but it wasn't always a mega church. But it's one of the mega churches. And when he was in college, he was lost. And um, I think the story goes something like, you know, he was standing, you know, he said, God, if you really want me to know you and discover you, then, then I need a Bible. So I need, someone, get, someone needs to give me a Bible. And he's walking along, and guess who was standing there? A Gideon. And a Gideon handed him a free Bible. And so he read it and trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, became a Christian, uh, ultimately became a pastor. And here's what happened. I love this. I love this. You know, again, they're a very large church, and actually a multi-campus church, obviously. But I love this because, you know, as I just said, version is, tr- is free, but everything they produce is free. Their Sunday school literature, music, um, the, the apps, the, the sermon outlines, all of that stuff, they give it away. They don't sell it. They could, but they chose not to because they want to share the kingdom of God. They've been an example of that. So what is a church to do? A church is to be generous. A church is to reach out. A church is to proclaim. That's what a church is to do. But here's the deal. That's hard. It's hard. Now, as you know recently, because some of you are on faith, I'm going to trip on this cord. I just know I am. Um, Judy and I have recently started kayaking. Well, no, that is not true. We went kayaking, okay? I'm not sure we started anything, but we went kayaking. Now, one of her dreams, you know, she has, doesn't get out much. Um, but anyway, one of her dreams was go kayaking. So I fulfilled that dream on her birthday, and actually the after her birthday, and we went kayaking. And what I discovered about kayaking is... Um, one, you get in this little boat thing, okay, and, and you sit down in it, like, kind of like this, and, um, and you have two paddles, and they're connected. So you've got a paddle here and a paddle here, which is really cool because you have to, if you had to do this, it would be really bad. So as it is, you, you do this, okay, and you paddle. But here's what I found out is, there's a thing, and I didn't know this, in kayaking, there's a thing called tracking. Okay, now the deal is this, as you're pulling the, the paddle this way, your boat has a tendency to go this way, and then as you go this way, it has a tendency to go this way, and you have the waddle effect, okay, and the bottom line is, it takes a real challenge to go straight, because as you do this, you're going back and forth, back and forth, back, not to mention the different depths of the paddle and all that, so probably the most challenging thing about kayaking is staying straight. Staying on target. Well, one of the most challenging things about church is staying on target and staying straight. I added this at the last minute, um, but here's how that happens. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm just going to read it. Don't, don't worry about turning there. You can go look at Matthew 16. That's where we're going to jump off from. In Hebrews chapter 12, very familiar scripture. Paul, uh, well, if Paul wrote Hebrews, I'm not sure he did. Therefore, we also, 
since we, ha- since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key words. Here's the kayaking words. Looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so balance and focus is how you kayak, and balance and focus is how you stay on track as a church. Um, I'm not sure they said it exactly like this, but someone said you uh, steer where you stare. If you discovered that, if you're driving and you're not paying attention, you look over here, you have a tendency to go this way. If you're driving and you look this way, you have a tendency to go this way. Wherever you stare, you have a tendency to steer. And the church is the same way. That's why I said it's hard for a church to stay on track because if we don't keep our eyes and focus on Jesus Christ, we will steer to whatever we're staring at. And sometimes it's us. Uh, Again, one of the big epidemics in churches today is an inward focus instead of an outward focus. As we look on ourselves and what we want and our desires, as we look inward, the church turns inward. Okay, And as we look out, then the church also looks out and goes out and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so that's, that's kind of what we want to talk about. How, what are some things we do? What does the church do? And it helps us stay on track. Because you need to know what we're supposed to be doing if we're going to do it. And by the way, no, we're not, we're not, we're not you know, life church at all. We're not that big. We're not that successful in, in terms of numbers and all that. But I want you to know something. Dorisville is a very successful church in the realm of the state of Illinois. I don't ever want you to forget that. And it's not to our glory, it's not for our boasting, but again, Dorisville has a great reputation in our state for being a church that's doing something. Don't ever forget that because what is reward, what is repeated is re, whatever is rewarded is repeated. I'll get it out. Whatever is rewarded is repeated. And you need to know you're making a difference in the kingdom of God. You are making a difference in the kingdom of God. So I want to jump off tonight, and just real quickly, we're going to glance real quickly back at a scripture we did not use uh, when we talked about foundations. We did not get there that day. And then I've got about six or seven things with different scriptures I want to talk about what is a church to do. I want you to understand, though, first off, that church is serious business. That church is serious business. That what we do is serious business business. It's often, again, it's easy not to get that. And I want you to understand it's, it's very important. And Matthew 16, 19 and 20, uh, this was right after, you know, Peter said, you, you know, you are the Christ, the son, the living God. And Jesus goes, oh, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And that's where we ended the sermon that day. Okay. But here is the part I want you to get tonight. And again, we didn't get there. It's an intriguing scripture. It says this. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And there's been a lot of speculation. What exactly did Jesus mean when he said that? And honestly, I'm not sure anyone really knows the full scope of what Jesus meant when he said that. But I can tell you one thing he did mean. 
He entrusted to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old song goes, you know, prayer is the key to heaven and faith unlocks the door. I don't know about that, but I know this. The key to the kingdom of God is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says, I will give you the keys, he has entrusted... And by the way, you're going to hear this Sunday morning because we're on evangelism missions in our Baptist faith and message. But he has entrusted to us, he has entrusted to the church the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and responsibility of getting that out. So he says, I will give you the keys. Now that's serious business because the the souls of men, women, and children rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ to avoid hell. The, the, The souls of men, women, and children rely on the gospel to avoid the penalty of hell. And guess who's entrusted us that ministry to? Us. When we do back to school, when we do Bible school, when we do judgment house, when we do church every week, when the ladies go out on Thursdays and, and their visitation, you know, all those different ministries, and that's just a touch of what we do, the mercy corner, all those different things, it's all about, it's all about getting out the gospel to those who need it the most. So he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, I think that teaches us the eternal weight of our mission. That what we do here has eternal consequences. Every time we stand and worship, every time we preach, if you're a teacher here, every time you teach a class, every time we go out, every event that we hold, every opportunity we have to share the gospel, there's eternal weight to that. Okay? And things that are bound on earth will be bound in heaven and vice versa. There's eternal consequences to what we do. Now, please let that soak in. There's eternal consequences to what we do, which means it's serious business. Which means it's serious business. Which means we got to make sure we stay focused on doing what God has called us to do. So, what is a church to do? What is a church to do? Some of this is, I know, all of these things, will get, you know, there's no new revelation tonight, but I hope there'll be a reinforcing of what we know and we'll make it stronger in our lives. So, what is a church to do? What, what's a church to do? Well, first off this, we gather each week to love. Isn't that simplistic? But, but if we're so successful at it, we would, you know, Jesus wouldn't have said some of the things he said. The truth is, we wrestle with love. We wrestle with love. But each week we gather to love. Now, we have a slogan in our church, every person matters, because every person matters. But we also have a sub-slogan that we throw out there that Jesus thought was really important. And the scripture is Mark chapter 12. Different gospel writers record different places. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, you know, a guy comes up and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment, okay? And Jesus says, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what I'm fixing to read, I'm going to slow down, and I want you to hear it like the first time. And you shall, imperative, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So, so when Jesus says the greatest commandment, he says we are to be madly in love, madly infatuated with God. There is no room in the life of the believer, according to Jesus, 
There's no room in the life of the believer for other loves, other God loves. Again, I said this one time before, God doesn't want to be in the top five of your gods, okay? In fact, God doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be the only one. He doesn't want you to have, even if you've got, well, I've got five gods, but God's number one. I, I've, yeah, I've got the God of materialism. I've got the God of pride. I've got the God of this, prestige. I've got these other gods, but at least God's number one. He says, no, I don't want there to be a God line. I want to be your one I want to be your only. I want you to be totally infatuated with me. And by the way, if you want to keep a successful marriage, that's one of them. You should be totally infatuated with the one and not the several. All right? Now, but then, but here's what's so cool. And this never gets old to me, okay? So this is the first command. Now look at verse 31. And the second, like it, is this. Pause. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Then love people. Love God. Love people. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then he says this, and and I, I just think we almost like gloss over it. I mean, this is like you know, if if you're if you're founding a company and you need a mantra, you need a foundation, and, and these words were spoken, you would do everything you could to promote this in the company, all right? We don't hear this, you know, every once in a while I preach on it. I've never gone to revivals. I've never gone to conferences and heard this taught the way it should be taught because he says there is no other commandment greater than these. You know, we got all whooped up and wowed up about moral law and all that stuff. Jesus said, that's fine and that's good. But let me tell you what's the most important. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. So if we don't be the church that God wants us to be, and we're, you know, what's a church to be about? We are to be about loving God and loving people. And personally, I think we do some of that pretty good. I want to, I want to confirm that in your heart. I want to affirm that in your heart. I think what part of the success that we have with Dorisville is that we're learning to love God and we're learning to love people. You know, we're learning, and we're not there, trust me. We're learning that a guy's skin color doesn't matter. We're learning that if they haven't used deodorant in a couple of weeks, that doesn't matter. If they have holes in their clothes, holes in their shoes, it doesn't matter. We're learning that we are to love God and love people. And that's what one of the things the church is supposed to be about. Now, now, if, you're, if you don't need to write it down, that's fine. I mean, if you've got a good memory, write that down. But that really needs to be tattooed on your hand. Love God, love people. Because there is no other commandment greater than these. Now, what else is a church to do? Well, the second thing a church is to do is we should gather to encourage. Gather to encourage. Um, I wrote down, church should be a safe place. You should be able to come to church and not... Now listen, stay with me. You should be able to come to church and not worry about being attacked. You should be able to church, be able to come to church and not worry about being criticized. You should be able to come to church and know that you're in a comfort zone here. Is that true? It's true, but it doesn't happen, does it, Mary? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. All too often I get, one, I'm guilty, and two, I've heard reports of, you're not going to believe what somebody said to me at church, at church. And I've done so many, you know, I'm going to write a book 
stupid in how not to do it. Because over my years as a human being, not just a pastor, I've done stupid so many times in so many various ways, I've got different recipes for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. But church should be a safe place. All right? Now, here's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says. And, and you know this one, but boy, is it a good one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Okay, now, now wait, that's what we've been preaching. What, what we believe and why we believe it. Hold fast to confession of our hope. Know what we believe, okay, and hold fast to that. And then he says, without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. God is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. In other words, let's spur one another on to love and good works. Spur one another on to love and good works. He goes on and says this, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. So when we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights, then this should be a time when we spur, not not criticize, okay? We should spur one another on to good works and to love and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, okay? That is just hugely important, all right? Now, we need each other. We need each other. We need each other. It grieves me. It grieves me when I see folks getting more and more sporadic in their attendance because I know they're going down a road that will lead to harm. Just like a coal needs the rest of the fire to stay hot, we need each other. Now, again, I, and I, don't mind, I will say this in front of you. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. Whether that is one time, two times, or three times a week for you, it's totally up to you and God. But we need each other. You've got to find time to come and corporate worship with the body of God every single week. Unless, again, death, sickness, or on vacation or something else. And if you're on vacation, maybe you should find a house of worship then. We need each other. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Listen, church is not going out of vogue. It's more necessary than it's ever been. Are, are y'all agreeing with this or disagreeing with it? I can't tell. He, he says, he says, you know, it's, it's the manner of some to forsake the assembling of others. But rather, we should exhort one another, encourage one another, and watch, watch, watch. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much more as you see what? The day. What were we talking about this morning? The day. In other words, as, as, things, as things narrow down and the clock gets ready to stop ticking, it's going to be more dangerous. Let me read to you a scripture that you know. You may know. I don't know if you know or not. But it's 2 Timothy 3. Listen. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times, in the last days, dangerous times will come. And then he goes on and lists something. For men will be... Now, the people he's fixing to describe here are not Christians. They're lost people. Okay? He says... For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, 
proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, uh, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. So Paul is telling this young preacher that as the time progresses and goes down the line, more and more, listen, it will be dangerous times and there's going to be dangerous people. Now, time out. That does not mean we don't seek to win them to Jesus. As I've shared with you before, okay, we cannot reach, touch the lost and reach the lost unless we're out there loving the lost. But again, your closest friends, where you get your core values, when you go ask advice, you make sure you find godly people to ask those questions. That's the point of what Paul is saying. But understand, you know, so much the more as you see the day approaching, these are dangerous times. You want to know why, listen, you want to know why our culture is where it is, sin-wise? It's because more and more people are not ashamed of their sin. More and more people are not afraid of the penalty of sin. And it's running rampant in our country. And trust me, your children at public school are going to run in some kids who have parents that are really, really, really dangerous spiritually. And they're filling their child's mind with that stuff. And those kids are going to try to give your kids anxiety. That's why you've got to teach them. That's why as early as possible we've got to ground our kids in the Word of God so that they'll be able to stand against the wiles and the fiery darts of Satan, even as a seven, eight, nine year old that knows Jesus Christ as Savior. So these are dangerous times. So we're not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but rather we are to exhort one another, encourage one another, and stir one another up. What else is the church to do? A church is to gather to worship. A church is to gather to worship. Now, once again, I've been pretty vocal about this, and I'll go ahead and say it again. Worship does not depend on style. It's not if you sing hymns or, or the new hymns. You know, by the way, in case you haven't figured it out, the seven eleven days are gone. You know, seven words eleven times. You know, those are gone. <laughs> Y'all, you've heard it, seven, it's gone. Yeah, what's coming out now that's being written are some beautiful theological hymns. You know, beautiful, beautiful music. So it does not depend on whether it's an old, whether the hymn written in 1645 or whether the hymn was written in 2017. Just doesn't matter, okay? A church is called to worship. And again, our diversity, as I said last week, our diversity is our strength, not our weakness. So when there's worship songs that we enjoy, we sing them. If there's a joyous song that I'm not quite as comfortable with, we sing them. We sing them. We worship together. Now, Psalm 100, again, we don't have time to preach this. That's not my point tonight. But really, just really listen to what the psalmist says about worship. In Psalm 100, make a joyful shout to the Lord. A joyful shout to the Lord, all you land. So a church, <laughs> hang on, Bad. Well, Baptists used to be shouters. Did you know that? We were, we were known as the shouters. But, but we are joyfully shouting. We should be joyfully shouting in our worship. Not necessarily vocally, but our hearts should be bursting in praise. Amen? All right. Number two, serve the Lord with gladness. So, so worship is not only shouting of praise to God, but it's also serving the Lord. Serve the Lord with how? With gladness. Not... not 
Oh no, I got to do this again. With gladness. Come before His presence with singing. So, so worship already involves this joyous expression, this serving, this singing. And then I love this. Know that the Lord, He is God, as in we are not. <laughs> know that the Lord, He is God, we're not. Okay, And to make it clear, the psalmist goes on and says this. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. I like that. It is He, in other words, just to be clear, the psalmist says, let's remember who the Creator is and who the created is because we created people kind of want to get in the mode in the Creator mode and we don't have the right to be the Creator because we're not. We're not. So know that the Lord is, know that He is the Lord, He is God, is He who made us, not we ourselves, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We're a needy bunch. I know, you've heard the Brady Bunch. But we are the needy bunch. And we just happen to have a a Savior who can meet our needs. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Don't forget, you know, I've really come enamored with this song, King of the World. You know, when the psalmist says in verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world. That's what Natalie's song says. When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? It, it's almost like it's easy. It's, it's, it's under the radar how that we forget that he's God. And he's our creator and we are not. He, he made us. We didn't make ourselves. It just sort of sneaks in on us. We're his people. We're his sheep. And so because of that, in verse 4, we are to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You know, worship should be about thanking God. Not, woe is me, God. I want what he's got. But God, thank you. Thank you. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So we should gather each week and we should shout, we should serve, we should sing, and we should know that He is God and that we should enter His gates with thankfulness. We should be grateful. Our worship service should be just filled with gratitude for all that He's done. And then just a reminder in verse 5, for the Lord is good. I, I love it. Well, I think Lisa Turkis says, you know, God is good and He's good at being God. God is good and He's good at being God. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Amen? Now, now, not only that, a church should gather to glorify. In other words, the church should gather to bring glory to the pastor, to the deacons, to the guy who gives all the money to the church, hmm. to God, to God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And here it is. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, do everything you do for the glory of God. Whether we're preaching, singing, leading worship, teaching a class, whatever it is, singing in the choir, we do all of that for the glory of God. The church should gather to glorify God. It should never glorify a pastor. It should never glorify a family. It should never glorify a church name. It should glorify, it should not glorify a denomination. It should glorify God and God alone. 
He says, verse 17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And lastly, what else is the church to do? The church is to gather to go and serve. Gather to go and serve. You know what I know? I'm going to give you this. I've said this before too. I've been long enough where I've said everything at least once. The more a church goes, the happier it is. The more a church serves, the happier it is. When we stop doing missions, when we stop reaching the hearts of people, we turn inward and we get mean. That's true of any church. You don't know why churches are mad at one another inside? You know why churches divide and, and have bad business meetings and all that? Because they turn inward. And when the church turns inward, it turns mean. As long as we're looking outward, we're loving. We're loving. Now, first off, we're to go. Acts 1.8, you know this one. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be, imperative, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you shall be my witnesses in Harrisburg and the state of Illinois. You should cross culturally, because that's what you know, the deal with Samaria was. They were, half, they were half Jew and half Gentile. All right, So there's a racial thing going on there. There's a cultural thing. So, so we are to faithfully go to other cultures, all right, including like the wrong side of Chicago or some other place like that, and to the ends of the world. That's why Judy and Nan are in London. They're not, by the way, you know they're not trying to reach London people. They're not there. To, they're, boy, a lot of the British people need Jesus. But these, these Bangladesh folks, there's 200,000 of them there. And virtually no gospel witness among them. That's why they're there. That's why they're there. The, the largest population of Bangladesh people are in Chicago. That's why IBSA is reaching out there. So you can go to Bangladesh, you can go to London, and you can go to Chicago and reach the world. And reach that part of the world. Hugely, hugely important. So we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Second, we are to serve others. You know, James said in James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Keep the rules. Go to church three times a week. I know what he says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. To reach out to the compromised people that you and I know. You know why we do back to school? Widows and orphans. You know why we do Bible school? Widows and orphans. Well, you know widows come to Bible school. No, but they're compromised people. A lot of those kids that come to Bible school hadn't had a hug in years. And they need to feel the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right. And then he goes on and says this. Oh, by, by the way, just like I said this morning, grace does not preclude holiness. And, he says, once you do the orphan and widow thing, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Holiness plays a part. It's really hard to have a viable witness for Christ with unholiness in your life. Third thing is this, proclaim. It's different from worship. Proclaim. But you are a royal, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's a church to do? A church is to proclaim. 
What's a Christian to do? To proclaim. And my thought is this. What's a church to do? Love Jesus. Be Jesus. Love Jesus. Be Jesus. That's what a church is to do. Would you bow your heads, please? So what do you think of that? Couldn't read you tonight, so I'll just ask you. What do you think of that? If you go to counseling sometimes, they'll, they'll say, so what do you think of that? If you're in a marriage situation, the wife will spill her guts, and you look at the husband and go, what do you think of that? What do you think of what God said tonight, God's Word said tonight? Where would you rate us? Where would you rate yourself? Where would you rate our church? I already told you, there are some areas we do very well. And there are some areas where you still need to grow in. And by God's grace, we're going to do exactly that. But the important thing is, we're sitting in the gospel kayak, and we're rowing. And we have to pay careful attention to how we row so we track straight. Staying on track for a church is difficult. But we do it by fixing our eyes on a point across the lake and rowing carefully. And that's how we do it in God's house. We fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministries that we do, we do so carefully. Now, God, I want to thank you for our church. I really do. It's been a privilege, Father, to serve here over these years, to know these folks. Thank you, God, a lot. And, Father, in these next few years, however mean that is for me and how long you leave us here and, and Father, how long you let the world tarry on, Father, may we be careful to stay on track. Father, help us to track carefully. Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you, on you, on you. Now, Lord, if there's some decision that needs to be made tonight, this is certainly a time we set aside for that. So, Father, through the Holy Spirit, we ask now if there's any business that needs to be taken care of, that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.